Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, again, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course, and I hope to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. The rain is back in North Texas, and so is the market update. We've got three excellent articles, one of which I got pinged on quite a bit. Bing, 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 bing. Text, email. Whoa, Robert, did you see this? Whenever I get that much oomph from an article, I know I've got to talk about it. The headline reads, Indexing is still the best bet for investors. This is by Mr. Burton Malkiel, one of the most famous index fund investors, the author of A Random Walk Down Wall Street, and a professor at Princeton. I don't know if he still is, but he, he was in the past. So that's going to be fun to read. We love headlines like that. Next article is The Secret to Saving for Retirement. Start before you're 20. That's right. A little thing called a custodial Roth IRA. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. And then in closing, we are going to look at something called a BDC business development company. Headline Wall Street Journal, the 11% yield that isn't in your mutual fund. And the yields that these companies carry, oftentimes 10, 11, 12%, I think we can handle the article. It's going to be tempting, but you can handle it. So let's start with our first one. Who doesn't love a title like this? Indexing is still the best bet for investors. History shows that even in narrow markets, actively managed funds don't do well over the long term. Now, for my seasoned listeners, no definitional aid is needed. However, it always bears repeating. An active fund is one in which stocks are actively selected by a manager because that manager thinks the stock is under or overvalued. A passive or index fund is one where all of the stocks are simply bought and it's done at a very low cost with active funds being at a high cost. So index funds or passive funds, no security selection is being made. You're simply mimicking a certain index. Active funds, Someone behind the desk is saying, buy this, sell that, because I think the company's got good prospects, bad prospects, etc. So, Mr. Malkiel's article had some gold in it. No surprise. He starts out by saying that many have argued lately, I'll read, that simple indexing, this is what I advocate for and do, is a bad strategy in today's environment because the stock market is dangerously narrow. Seven stocks, I'll read them, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla constitute close to 20% of the S&P 500 value and have been responsible for 90% of the gain. So these, these detractors, Mr. Malkiel's saying, are saying, well, what if these stocks falter, as it appears they may be? The simple index fund investor, the active manager warns, will soon be overly concentrated in a small number of stocks that are overpriced. You ever heard that before, listener? Has anyone ever told you that story? Hey, don't get caught up. Hey, hey, you're top-heavy. I've been hearing this for, I feel like, a decade. I told someone I was an index fund investor. They said, well, how much Apple do you want to own? You know, trying to rib me. I just smiled. I just smiled. And I wanted to have a quick, quick harsh word, but a, a gentle word turns away wrath, so I elected not to give a quip, but 
Malkiel explains, the argument is wrong. Indexing a stock portfolio through a low-cost fund remains the best way to participate in the stock market. These critics will point to the late 90s. Now, Robert Hunt Financial listener, do you remember the late 90s? I have clients now who are young enough where I have to instruct them on what happened in the late 90s. It's always fun. They're always amazed. They don't know what America Online was or internet service providers or dial-up, and I have to explain that a lot was happening then. But in the late 90s, there was a huge run-up in tech stocks, so much so that a lot of active managers will look back and say, you see, you see passive investors, that late 90s period, ha-ha, that's the indictment on you, that's the verdict. Indexing doesn't work. Malkiel explains the market ended the first decade of the 2000s below where it started. That's called a lost decade, class. Index investors got banged up, tech stocks got crushed. Check this out. Malkiel says even successful companies such as Amazon and Apple lost more than 90% of their value through early 2002. But the salient question, class, and what Mr. Malkiel brings up is, but did indexing really fail? The evidence suggests it didn't. From 1990 to 2009, according to the Bogle Financial Research Center at Vanguard, a broad U.S. stock market index fund outperformed the average actively managed equity fund by 1%. The total stock market returned 8.42% annually in that 20-year period, including both the dot-com bubble and the poor returns that followed. So the active funds in that supposedly bubble period, in that supposed period where indexing was leading you straight and active was a way to do it, guess what? Indexing won. Indexing won. And I, I go back to this. There's, there's the great argument people have on indexing. They'll say things like, well, Robert, the market's not totally efficient. And I agree. It's not perfectly efficient. But it's it's less the efficient market theory, the idea that all available information is priced accurately in the stocks that motivates me to be an index fund investor. In fact, I think that's a wrong view of the, the topic entirely. Index fund investing is more of what I would describe as cost matters philosophy, not efficient market hypothesis philosophy. It's just cost matter. Cost matter. And so with an index fund, you're able to drop your cost to close to zero. Some index funds have a negative expense ratio, meaning you're being paid to hold the fund. Can you imagine that? If you really want to nerd out, I can explain that another time, perhaps for another podcast. But you're effectively, you're, you're getting paid to hold these things, whereas with an active fund, you're being charged who knows what, a whole lot. So it, it has less to do with this diehard belief that markets are perfectly efficient. I don't think so. I simply don't know in what ways they're inefficient until after the fact. I can Monday morning quarterback with the best of them. It's this idea that, hey, Malkiel explains, I, you've heard me give this data, 90%, 90% of active managers fail to beat the market over 10 and 20-year periods. It's not impossible to the market, but the chances are you'll underperform. So a great article by Mr. Malkiel. Grateful for all the folks that pinged me with that. That was uh, just a good feeling to be known. I felt very known. People knew me enough to know I would like that article. Moving on, Wall Street Journal article by Ashley Ebeling this week. The secret to saving for retirement, start before you're 20. Earnings from summer jobs can be invested for decades of tax-free growth. So what this article does, it highlights a custodial Roth IRA. Let's first talk about what a Roth IRA is. You perhaps have heard of a traditional IRA, individual retirement account. Well, a Roth IRA implemented by 
I believe Senator William Roth, it allows for contributions to be made after tax and for them to grow tax-free with no required minimum distributions. So it's one of these vehicles that allows you, you the money gets taxed on the front of it. Once you put it in that bucket, that Roth IRA bucket, no more taxes, even on the withdrawal and while it grows. So it's really a compelling vehicle for young people. This is what this article highlights. Talks about um, the ability, and this is, it shows a, um, a young lady who is a beekeeper. Shows her in this article in full garb, beekeeping suit, making some beekeeping money. And what happens, some parents will do this, they will tell the teen, because it's kind of tough for a 12-year-old to say, yeah, I'll take all this money I earned and put it in a vehicle that'll make me happy when I'm 70. Unlikely. Unlikely. But what you can say to that same 12-year-old who's beekeeping, is you can say, hey, what if I'll open up this custodial Roth IRA, because they can't, they're not 18 yet, and I'll fund it, because the rules are it has to be earned dollars. You can't just open these up for a three-year-old and throw money at it. It has to be earned dollars. So you can match this 12-year-old's earnings, and the 12-year-old can keep every dollar in their checking account and give it to the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, hopefully to their local church, a tithe to their local church. And you can then place these matched dollars into a Roth IRA. So the teen doesn't feel as though they're having to withhold. Some, some don't do that. Some get the teen to do it, but, but a portion of it. But what can happen is over these long periods of time, it really offers an opportunity for savings so that when the teen wakes up at whatever age, 30, 40, 50, wow, that one investment a long time ago is re can really go a long way. And then it, the article continues with some other stories that show that, hey, the, I mean, the maximum contribution for 2023 is $6,500. It's got to be earned income. And once you're 18, you can open it on your own. And it shows stories of folks whose parents opened it for them. It transitions from a custodial to a regular. And then other odd jobs in the summer, they kept doing this exercise, kept doing this exercise. On a lot of these compound calculators, what you'll notice is that those who contribute on the front end, they really don't have to contribute as much just because of the way compounding works. And if you delay, you are forced to have to contribute more and more. So I found this uh, article interesting. It's always a little wrinkle. Folks who, the article explains if you have your own business, it's even easier. So if you have your own business, you, know, you can hire a really young kid to like shred paper. There was one, I think it was a financial advisor in here. Yeah, Sean Caldwell, financial planner in Clearwater, Florida, opened up Roth areas for his four kids when they were in elementary school because they worked from doing office tasks, shredding paper, et cetera. Um, and when they got older, he did the parental match. So you've got to, um, this is just a word of the wise though, it's got to be legitimate. Okay, so if you're a business owner, I would encourage you, uh, do it by the letter of the law. Only contribute true earnings that the child has actually provided labor for you. Um, that ensures that we are in compliance uh, with the law and in accord with the Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 23 of the Civil Magistrate, um, which is one of our documents here at the Robert Hunt Financial that we will reference um, when we don't know what to do. So, and then our final article, the Wall Street Journal again serves up a good one. The 11% yield that isn't in your mutual fund is the headline. 
business development companies, BDCs, pay out at least 90% of the interest they earn in dividends but carry extra risks. Now, a lot of podcasts, I can imagine, podcasts that at least believe what I believe about investing, might hesitate to communicate about these business development companies. But it's in the news, so you're seeing it. Um, I'll tell you why. More money has been lost chasing yield at the, at the end of a gun. That's the old phrase, meaning more people have just lost money on bad investing than have had it stolen from them. But I've felt this article was worth bringing to your attention. So there are these companies called business development companies, BDCs. They raise money from public stock investors. They then lend that money, like a bank would, to smaller, usually private companies. So um, the article explains that sometimes when banks pull back, these folks will have more opportunities. And they typically will lend money at floating rates. So it's not so bad right now for them, so long as their borrowers don't get into, into trouble. And it lists various companies. And, and by and large, these folks yield about 10% or over. That's kind of like normal. So uh, that yield, understandably, pops off the page for investors. And they wonder, I wonder, well, how, how do you... How are you paying out over 10% on, on a yield? That's pretty good. Well, they're required to pay out 90% of their earnings to you, okay? So they're able to avoid some of the double taxation that a typical C-Corp would have, like an Apple. Apple pays dividends after the corporate tax. Whereas this might be more akin to the real estate investment trust, where again, 90% of a real estate investment trust is paid out carries higher dividend yields typically. So the question that we must ask ourselves, investor, is one, if the yield's so good, what's the catch? Okay. As an old friend of mine once said, anything over U.S. Treasuries needs to be audited. Okay. And in this situation, let's explain the headline. It's not in your mutual fund. Typically, these business development companies are not found in mutual funds. So they're not in these funds because, and this was news to me, the actual fees that the BDCs, and I'm, not, I'm still not positive on this, have, are they actually force some of these mutual fund houses to reflect that in their expense ratios, which I got to tell you, class, I'd never heard of. I didn't know that was the case. I thought there was some other reason why um, these things weren't in there, but... There's an S&P BDC index, which has 39 of these things. Um, it's up 18.1%, including dividends, slightly outperforming uh, the S&P 500 on the same basis. It's up 17.5. Um, the reason why I would not recommend someone owns these things, although it is incredibly enticing, it'd be permissible for you to buy something like this, is, and this is just a general rule, okay? Anytime a yield like this is promoted, one, we've got to know we're going to be attracted to it. Because a high yield like this, oh, with a click of a button, I can earn a ton more than I can with right U.S. Treasuries or even money market fund, what have you. So you know there's some risk in there. If there's no extra work required and they're paying me double, I'm doing something on the risk side. And you are. These companies in 2008, 2009, some of them got wiped out um, or went under, came under severe stress they never recovered from. Even during COVID, this article explains, uh, they came under severe stress. 
Oftentimes investing like this, I will analogize with picking up quarters on a railroad track. And it really does feel like you are a genius when you're picking up these quarters. You're looking at peers at 5% nowadays, five five and a quarter percent on a money market fund, and you're picking up 11% just like clockwork. And so long as business health continues and these companies are doing okay, you really will kind of feel like a genius. It's when the train comes that the wipeout occurs. So I don't recommend folks buy these things. I think you're better off in a broad-based stock index fund, but I think it's important that you know, so when you see an article like this, well, how'd they do that? Well, they're just taking a little more risk, paying it out to you, and there's no real growth potential. I mean, you look at, um, there might be a season where it pops up, but it, you're really not going to experience a ton of capital appreciation. These vehicles are not designed for that. That's not, um, it's possible. It's hoping, yeah, you can hope that. It's really not how, this, how it's structured. So I would steer clear if I were you. But as always, lest we forget, let's keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, and keep that time horizon long. That's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing journey. Until next time.